James chapter 5 and verse 7 says this, Therefore be patient. Wow. Brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. There's a lot of patience in this, huh? Indeed. We count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord. That verse just hit me this last week. You have seen the endurance, the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and he is merciful. Let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's light, it's life, it's instruction, it's correction where we need it. I pray that, Lord, today you would challenge us by your word and that all that you desire would be released in us. Lord, that we will not miss one thing that your spirit speaks to us today. Come on, church. I want you to pray for a great anointing. If you have the liberty, pray with your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for a mighty anointing to be released across this room in Jesus' name. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear a heart and a mind that perceives what your spirit is speaking. I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse or uproot your word as it comes forward. Holy Spirit, give us liberty. Give us freedom in receiving what you are speaking to us today. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, man. Guys, I'm excited to tell you we're turning a corner in the book of James. If you've been with us in this series, we have spent the last weeks. I mean, James has been hard on us, you know. He's been yelling at us about pride. You know, if you, uh, uh, if God will humble you. He says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He's been yelling at us, calling us adulterers and adulteresses. If you love the world, he's been talking to us about sin and greed and on and on. We got some hard messages, but I have good news for you. We're moving this week into some of the blessings that God has for us. In fact, I, I don't want you to miss the next number of weeks. This is where we actually get into the whole section of Scripture where, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. That's in James chapter 5. There's verses on freedom, verses on healing, all kinds of stuff that's coming out of this book. And it's really going to bless us. But one of the things I, I wanted to just kind of dig into. There's a lot of word pictures, even in the text that we read a moment ago, talking about harvest and latter rain and uh, God standing at the door. There's, how many understand? Unless you speak Christianese, there's a lot of things that you can miss in the Bible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, how many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you were raised in the church? Can I see your hands? Okay, a lot of us. How many of you, and this is okay, uh, how many of you were not raised in the church? You came into the church, you know, uh, okay, so uh, not quite half and half, but almost. How many of you, as you came into the body of Christ, especially those who are new, like you hear this talk about 
washed in the blood. Like, what? Like, if you don't understand what that is, if nobody's taught you about the blood of Jesus, like, what in the world are you talking about? What is it to plead the blood? What is it to, uh, there's a lot of stuff about blood you understand in the Bible. Uh, I, I don't understand what that is. What is sin? What is, you know, here's one that, that I grew up, and you'd hear about someone who's getting ready to go on vacation. And so people would pray, would you pray for me? Traveling mercies, I, don't, I still don't know what that one means, traveling mercies, I guess, like, give me patience if I have annoying kids in the car. I don't know what traveling mercies are. But you'd, you'd pray. And so you'd, you'd hear people say this. I pray for a hedge of protection around them. Like, wait, are, are we praying for bushes? Like, to surround your traveling family members? I don't understand. Are we praying for a bush to wrap around this car? But, you, but here was what you understood. I never, I never understood it until after I had even graduated Bible school, and I started looking through, and like, oh, Satan said he couldn't mess with Job because there was a hedge of protection around him. Like, okay, all right, so that kind of makes sense. Or how about this one? I need someone to stand in the gap. For this belief, you know, someone's got cancer. We're going to stand in the gap for this situation. Like, what in the, are we going to stand in holes? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever thought, does anybody know what it means to stand in the gap? A couple of you. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. This is good. Let me teach you. In Ezekiel 22. The Lord comes to Ezekiel, and he's looking for people who will stand in the gap. And it was twofold. There was literally areas of the wall that surrounded their city that were broken down. And so in a literal sense, there were people that they would appoint. I want you to stand in the gap in this wall, and if the enemy attempts to come, you're there to fend off the enemy and to fight on behalf of people. But then he said, Ezekiel, I'm calling you to be one who will stand in the gap in the Spirit. I need you to intercede when other people aren't interceding. I need you to discern when other people are not discerning. I need you to speak on my behalf when other people are not willing to speak. And that's what it is to stand in the gap. And so there's so many things. I've actually got a list. I I think one day I'm going to put together a a dictionary of Christianese terms to help people out. We use terms like salt and light, fire, anointing, ask Jesus into your heart, strong man, calling, I decree and declare the armor of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, we better just lift them up. Come on, we're going to go fish for some men. Like what in the world? How many of you know what most of those things mean? Okay, most of us do. Uh, maybe I'll just preach on that topic one of these days. But it's for good reason. You know, God likes to use pictures. Jesus always spoke in parables. He told stories. And, uh, you know, let me, let me tell you, like, you know, he, he could have, they, they'd come to him and they'd ask him questions like, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus could have just said, oh, anybody around that you can care for, that's your neighbor. But Jesus didn't do that. And said, well, let me tell you a story. And he would begin to tell him a story. He would illustrate it. So Jesus is all about pictures. The Bible's all about pictures, Old and New Testament. And so let me just tell you, before we get into our text in James, let me just tell you a couple things that were mentioned here that you may have missed. James talked about harvest. Everyone say harvest. Now, 
uh, he talks about the early and the latter rain. Oh, I, I like that one. I'll explain it in a moment. He talked about the coming of the Lord and how God will come with a reward in his hand. In verse 11, this is all in James chapter 5, he mentions blessings. Everyone say blessings. And he talks about compassion and mercy. So let me just tell you some of the things. I'm going to give you keys to receiving what the Lord has for us. But let me tell you some of the things that we can believe for. Harvest, most of the time, is talking about people. Most of the time we talk about, we pray this way every morning in our morning prayer meetings. For the harvest, God bring us a harvest of souls. Now that's some Christianese for you. What do we pray? We're praying that people would learn to surrender their lives to Jesus, to trust him as Lord and Savior. And see, Revelation talks about how in the end he will gather his people together. The harvest of the earth, he will reap them. The Bible also, Jesus said in John chapter 4, he said, lift up your eyes. The harvest is white for harvest. And he said this as a whole group of people from a Samaritan village were coming out to meet him. He says, look, harvest. So harvest is people. Do you have people you're believing to come to Jesus? Do you have people that, man, I, I, I have concern over them. Maybe you have a people group. Maybe you, I mean, I, I rejoice. Last night, we started our King's Honoka'a Filipino service. Was anybody here at our, at our Filipino service up there? Two of us. Three. Okay, okay, a few of you. Okay. Somebody needed to translate the Filipino, so we got it. Uh, so there's a, a few of us that were there. You know, why, why do we start Filipino services? Why do we start Slavic services? Why do we start Marshallese services? Harvest. Exactly. So why we go to different areas? Well, we've got a great church right here, Pastor Jacob. Yeah, we do. But there's people in Honoka'a. There's people in Hilo. There's people in Ocean View who have not yet had the opportunity. I was blown away a couple weeks ago. I spoke for our Russian service here. And there's people that are, that are here in the service. And I, after the service was done, after I had preached, I go down to greet these people and realize they don't speak English at all. And it's crazy. People that live on this island who don't speak English. It's wild. And so as much as I would love everybody to come right here into this service and just hang out with us, I realize that they're reaching a group of people that I, I just cannot. Our Filipinos are reaching a people group that I can't. That's harvest. That's why we start churches. That's why we're reaching out to these different groups. Uh, it's harvest. Everyone say Harvest. Do you have nations you're believing for? People groups you're believing for? Family you're believing? That's harvest. That's harvest. James talks about harvest. Uh, he also talks about blessings. Everyone say blessings. Uh, there's a lot. How many of you want everything you set your hands to to be blessed? I want all the labor of my, I've been claiming Deuteronomy 28, 12, the Lord will open his good treasury, the heavens. He'll give rain to your land and season, and he will bless all the work of your hands. You will be the lender. You will not be the borrower. I want everything I set my hands to, to be blessed. The work of the ministry, my family, the jobs that I work, entrepreneurial ideas, the Lord can bless these things according to his word. James also mentions, this is probably my favorite one, the early in the latter rain. Now, 
can I teach you something about Bible study? Um, I was taught, and this, is, this is what we call a hermeneutical, how, do you, how to study the Bible. It's a hermeneutical principle. If you're going to be proficient in God's word, there's two questions you need to ask as you read the scripture. What does it say and what is it saying? What does it say? What is it saying? What does it say? What is it saying? So what that means is, as you read the book of James, you realize James was talking to real people with real issues in that time. Context. Who were they writing to? What did it mean for the people who were receiving that? But how many also understand that the word is living and active, that God is no respecter of persons, and if God would speak to them, God can also speak to you. And so as you get into the scripture, yes, study it, understand who he's writing to and the things they were going through, but also say, Holy Spirit, what's your word for me? What would you speak to me out of this text? And so you begin to understand the Bible talks about the early and the latter rains on many occasions, and it's very relevant to us today. So if you're a farmer, you can claim the, far, the farming aspects of this. God's going to rain on your coffee trees and uh, whatever else you might grow or produce. That's wonderful. But you know what else the Bible says about the former and the latter rain? Oh, I'm getting excited. Some of you already know. Joel chapter 2 in verse 23 says, Be glad, children of Zion, that's you, that's us, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the former rain faithfully. He will cause rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain. Everyone say former and latter rain. That wasn't everybody. Everybody say former and latter rain. God is going to cause this to rain down and to prove to you that this is relevant to us. Let's keep going. Verse 25 says, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten. That means God is going to restore times and seasons that the enemy devoured from you. I, I began to pray this right after I got saved. Because I was kind of like feeling guilty, like I, I, I was getting so much from the Lord, but I realized, God, I have wasted 18 years of my life in foolishness. I could have been seeking you. I could have been in discipleship. I could have been praying. But I read this verse, and the Lord began to speak to me, pray that I would restore the years the enemy has eaten. And so I began to pray, God. Give me 18 years of faithful prayer. Give me 18 years of faithful study. Give me 18 years of, of, of faithful discipleship. And I began to ask, and church, I believe that God has done that. And I want to encourage you. If you've had times and seasons that the enemy devoured this, man, I, I was serving the Lord, and then I got sick for a year or two. Pray, demand that God give you back the years the locust has eaten. Now, Satan, you better give that back to me. You stole that, God has come, Jesus has come for life and life abundant, and I'm going to receive it. Pray. And now, the, Joel continues, verse 28. You'll recognize this part if you didn't know the, first, the, the earlier part. It says, and I will pour out my spirit. This is the former and latter rain. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Men servants, maidservants. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now, 
fast forward. The prophet, or uh, Peter, is in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit descends upon the people of God. They're speaking with other tongues, mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, and the entire city begins to gather around to hear what in the world is going on. And Peter stands up, and he declares, this is that which was spoken by the prophet. I feel the anointing. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, on servants and rulers, on tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. I will pour out my spirit. They will prophesy. Oh, my goodness. You realize what the former and the latter reign is, church? I believe what happened on the day of Pentecost was the former reign. It was just the beginning of what God was going to do as his church was unleashed to destroy the gates of hell. But what God is doing in this day, he said he will give us the former and the latter reign. That means You know that God is saving the best for last? Do you know that God is saving the best for last? Like, you and I get to be a part of the greatest revival in human history. I hope you're excited about that because God is saving the best for last. The miracles you read about in the Bible, the great awakenings we've seen throughout history, God is going to do that and more in our day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody better say amen. He's going to do it. So he talks about the return of Jesus. Now, you understand, Jesus is either going to come back as the judge knocking on the door, or he's going to come back. Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am coming, and I come with my reward in hand. How many of you want Jesus coming back as your judge? All right, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. How many of you would love when Jesus comes back for you, he's coming back with a reward? Oh, I want the reward of the Lord. I want the reward. Now, James talks about, he mentions all of these things. I, I know I, I gave you a, a glimpse of these pictures. How many of you, uh, you want to see God bless you? How many of you want to see a harvest of souls? How many of you want to see and be a part of this last day revival? How many of you want the reward of Jesus at his return? Hallelujah. I want all of it. And more. If the Bible's got it for me, I'm not leaving any Christmas presents under the tree. I'm going to open them all. I want everything that the Lord has for me. Well, there's a couple of things that we need to do. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We need to work patiently. We need to establish, write this down, establish your heart. And the third thing is do not grumble. Amen. No grumbling. Tell your neighbor, no grumbling. That's right. Stop complaining. So if we're going to receive what God has for us, we need to work patiently. Therefore, verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. So you be patient. Come on, tell your other neighbor, be patient. Now, let me tell you, men, husbands, I want you to hear me. Are you in a relationship? Let me just, one great way, if you ever want to neutralize an argument, let me give you a couple things you can say that will just shut the argument right down. You just say, relax. 
calm down, settle down, or be patient, right? You just, all right, you just go try that at home this week. Uh, if you're getting something heated, you just go ahead and try that. No, don't do that. I, I will be performing your funeral later on this week if we do that. <laughs> no, you be patient. That's what you need to do. Be patient. Shut your mouth. Hallelujah. That's right. Now, what I want you to understand, though, we need to, whatever it is you believe, you're contending for your family, you're contending for your business to be blessed, you're contending for revival, you're, you know, whatever it is that you're, I want you to get a vision. What are you actually believing for? What are you asking God to do in this time and in this season? Well, you need to work patiently. Work patiently. And I know that's hard for us because we're instant gratification people. We like fast food. We like Amazon Prime, two days on my doorstep, high-speed internet, right, uh, eternal reward. I mean, guys, I, I know one of the things that frustrates me more than about anything is if I'm watching something on Netflix and it pauses. Even for like 10 seconds. How many understand? Like that's the greatest inconvenience ever. Like it just drives me crazy. I tell everybody in the house, get off the internet. Why? Because we're just, we're so like, I want it now, I need it now. You remember when you have to used to have to drive to Blockbuster if you want to watch a new movie, get the DVD, or no, no, cassette tapes, and you had to rewind them? You remember that? It's not that way. We have become so spoiled. I need it now, I need it instantly. But, friend, let me just, God doesn't work that way. Work patiently. Work patiently. You will reap what you sow. But the Bible says, do not grow weary in well-doing work. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. You can't give up. It's sowing, it's serving, it's giving. What is that vision you're believing God for? What is that harvest that you're contending for? Work for it. Serve for it. Give into it. Pray into it. You can even look at a church. People look at King's Kona, and how did you guys do that? Two and a half years, the church has exploded. No, no, it has not. You don't understand. This is the fruit of 40 years of faithful prayer and intercession and laboring on people who've gone before us. That's what this is, friend. My wife talks about being a child, stretching her hands towards the map of the world. God, give us churches all around the world. And God's doing it. We're now in 600 locations around the world, believing for 1,200 by 2025. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen because Pastor Jacob has arrived and now we've got a church. No, it has been the faithful serving and giving in prayer. Six million dollars is what's been invested into this building. Do you got six million dollars? If you do, you can help us. But, but no, not, you, probably not one of us does. So why were we able to purchase this property in this building? Because somebody else saw what God could do. They got a vision of a harvest in Kona and they sowed. They have prayed and we, Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, 
He said, I am sending you out to harvest where you did not labor. You realize right now, you sitting in this room, the harvest of young people that comes in, we are harvesting over somebody else's labor. Are we going to do the same thing for a future generation? Are, are we going to do this? Some of you missionaries say, are you going to go do that for another people group overseas? One of the things I keep in my heart, there will be a day where Pastor Jacob dies and he goes to be with Jesus. But this ministry will continue on. Our grandbabies and our great-grandbabies and people who we don't even know will have a place to worship because you and I, we gave and we served and we prayed and we labored for a harvest that yet is. So what are we praying for? What are you laboring for? What are you believing? What kind of seed are you sowing into the ground? Number two, we must establish our heart. We must establish our heart. If we're going to see breakthrough, this revival, that harvest, that blessing of the Lord, a reward at his return, you need to establish your heart. I want you to say it out loud. Establish your heart. Every commentator pretty well agrees this means that we must be courageous and we must be committed. We must be courageous and we must be committed. Do you have a commitment in your heart for the things God has called you to? Do you have commitment in your heart? When I said, I do to my wife, I meant that with all of my heart. This last Thursday, she's not, my wife is out of town right now, but guess what? I'm still married. In fact, I wore my shirt on a Thursday night that said, husband. I've got the ring on my finger, but I want everybody to know I'm a husband. Hallelujah. And I know she rejoices over that. Why? Because I'm committed to this thing. I made a commitment with all of my heart until death do us part. And I'm married, friend, even on bad days. I'm married even when she's not around. Hallelujah. I am committed to this thing all the time. Are, are you committed? What has God asked you to do? Are you committed to the body of Christ? Are you committed to your family, to your children? Do you do these things with all your heart? That's what God's looking for. Are there going to be people that will seek me with all of their heart? But I need you to understand that when the Bible talks about having a heart, you, you know, we use that term, you know, we'll use phrases like ask Jesus into your heart. And it makes sense in our Western culture. You see, we use heart for everything. We sing, you know, I love you with all of my heart. Uh, you broke my heart. Come on, put your heart into it. We use, we use heart for everything. For us, in our culture, our heart, the heart is the seat of the emotions, Right? Did you know in the Bible it's not that way? Within Hebrew language and culture, the seat of the emotions, does anybody know the seat of the emotions was what? Okay, we don't know. Oh, I'm going to teach you something. This is awesome. The seat of the emotions within Hebrew culture was the bowels. That's right, the bowels. Everybody say bowels. But this makes sense if you think about it. Think about what happens when you feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Oh, 
You feel a pit in your stomach, don't you? What happens when you see your crush? Oh, man, I'm so excited. And you get butterflies, don't you? Right? I'm so excited to see my wife. I get butterflies again. You get butterflies, right? What happens when you're like going on a roller coaster and oh, the thrill is there. Boy, you feel that. What happens when the Holy Ghost touches you? You feel a man, a fire on the inside of your belly, don't you? You felt these things. Why? Because it's the seat of your emotions. Now, I, I like the heart picture, but the biblical picture, it, it, it's your guts. It's your guts. And it makes sense to me. Now, I, I know it kind of ruins our love songs, right? <laughs> You're not going to have some great songs about your bowels, you know. Oh, baby, you move me. It just doesn't work, does it? But no, no, well, the heart's fine, but understand when the Bible. And so what does that mean for us? Well, when, when God's saying, listen, if you're going to see a harvest, if you're going to see revival, if you're going to see a blessing, you got to work. you got to work patiently, but you got to have heart. you got to have guts in this thing. Friend, if your faith doesn't cause you to do things that freak you out, you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably doing it wrong. It takes courage to stay, step out of the boat. It takes courage to stand for righteousness in a sinful day. It takes courage to witness to your lost loved ones and to share truth to those who desperately need it, knowing they could reject you. It takes courage. It takes courage to go into persecuted nations to extend the gospel of Jesus. It takes courage to take steps in the millions of dollars knowing this thing could fail. It takes guts. Do you have courage? Do you have the guts to do what God has asked you to do? Friend, it's the only way that we're going to see what we're contending for. You've got to have guts. Now, here's the last one. This is very simple. No grumbling. Praise God. No complaining. Everybody say, no grumbling. This is why the children of Israel missed the promised land. They were perpetual complainers. We need to, we need, I almost said something about being a Karen, but there's some Karens in our church, so I'm not going to say that. Um, I mean, like Karen's their actual name, not that they act like Karens, you understand. But we, we, need to, we need to get this grumbling thing off, this complaining thing off of us. Verse 9, James chapter 5 says, don't grumble against one another, brethren. Don't grumble against one another, brethren. Now, let me ask you a question. If your son or daughter or your spouse was having a problem. Are, are you going to slander the one that you love? Are you going to tear them down to everybody you come across? No, because you love them, because that's your flesh and blood. But the Bible is encouraging us, don't grumble against one another. Brothers, sister, this is your family, you guys. This is your family. We need to think that way before we run our mouth about someone who's sitting next to us. We need to consider these things like, God, you, you, you've redeemed them by your blood, and we're in covenant relationship, and 
Guys, I just the infighting within the body of Christ, it's got to stop. Like, we get so limited in our vision. Do you realize we are in a battle for eternity, for souls? Heaven and hell is in the balance. Revival is in the balance. And many churches, I don't feel like this is us, but I'm just telling some churches, other churches maybe, I don't know. We get so caught up in petty disputes and arguments, and it undermines what God desires to do. We need to shake off this complaining, murmuring attitude. I'll never forget, I was sitting with a pastor, and my brother Jeremy was there, and, and there was a well-known minister who had just passed away, and after his death, all of these things began to come to light about his sexual immorality. And the pastor that I was sitting with had just done a conference with him a few months earlier. And it kind of set us, my brother and I, into this course just really murmuring about backslidden ministers, hypocrites, these guys who just can't seem to do it right. In this pastor, he's a father in my life. He looks at me and says, Jacob, I want you to tell me what is God's delight over that person. I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you think God's pleasure is over that minister that you don't like? He made me say nice things about a preacher I didn't like. I was sitting with DJ. I'm not trying to embarrass you, DJ. But he was talking to me, murmuring about somebody that he had to work with. And I said, DJ, I want you to tell me, what is God's delight over that person? What is God's pleasure over that person? I made him say nice things about this person he didn't like. Turns out he was right. That person was a creep. And uh, But you know what? I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Why? We stopped the murmuring. We stopped the complaint. And would be to God, what happened? Oh, this story moved me so deeply the other day when I considered this woman with the alabaster box. The Bible said she was an immoral woman. She was a known prostitute. And she comes and kneels and breaks this box at the feet of Jesus. And people begin murmuring. People begin complaining. If he was truly a prophet, if he was truly a man of God, he would know what kind of woman that is and wouldn't let her touch him. One of these guys was a man named Simon who was a leper who'd been healed by Jesus. And it's like, dude, have you forgotten? You were unclean. And Jesus touched you. Jesus looked at you and did not see your disease. He looked at you and saw someone who was healed and whole. And you don't think God can do that for an immoral woman? Of course he can. You see, when we murmur and complain, we undermine what God is able to do in the life of somebody else. We make assumptions about who they are because of their addiction, their mess, their disease, their history, their skin color, whatever it may be. Stop murmuring.
God. We'd have some people that would tap into that prophetic anointing, that gift of discernment and say, listen, I know the world has beat you down, but I look at you and I see a revivalist. I look at you and I see healing to the nation. I look at you and I see a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see you healed and whole and doing the wonders of the Lord. Would be to God, somebody would carry the heart of Jesus and look at people. See, I see the treasure in you. And I see what God can do. Worship team, would you come? We're going to close. What are you believing for? What are you asking God for? You guys, I believe. I believe Jesus is coming soon. For real. I do believe that we're in the last days. And I believe that it's There's a lot of work to be done in a short amount of time. And God's wanting to birth a unity in the spirit. I had a pastor from another state contact me this last week and he's saying, you know, there's another church that's starting right down the road from me. He lives in a bigger city. Pastor starting a church right down the road from me. He was upset. People are going to leave my church. People are going to go to that church. And I told him, bro, you're looking at the wrong kingdom. People come to me at times and they talk about, oh, did you hear? Living Stones has got a great youth ministry. Their high school program is da da da. And they start talking about it. Like, I don't know. Do you want me to complain about it? I just like, praise God, they're reaching young people. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm not jealous. You don't think there's more high schoolers that need reached in this city? Of course there are. Praise God that this church has got a good men's ministry and that church has got a great children's program. And friend, we're going to do our best to be all of those things as well. But those guys are on our team. If people are preaching the same gospel that we are, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Friend, they are for us. They're for us. They're for us. They're not against us. Jesus said that the coming of the Son of Man would be as in the days of Noah. People be eating, drinking, marrying, going about their business, no regard for what's about to come. And he said, this is how it's going to be when I come back. Now you just, I want you to picture this with me. Noah and his family. The Bible called Noah a preacher of righteousness. Not only was he building that ark in faithful obedience to God, but he was also declaring, guys, something is coming. And if you're not ready, you will perish. And Jesus tells us it's the very same thing today. God's building a kingdom. It's the ark. And if you come in, you will not perish. Oh, you'll be so blessed. God will I mean, he'll blow your mind in every way. But if you miss it, you will perish. You just imagine for a moment that all of us on, in King's Kona, we're all building the kingdom. We're all active in ministry. We're doing the works of the Lord. We're establishing. We're, yeah, we're building this thing. And we're preaching righteousness. We're preaching the truth. We're, we're doing what we can to see the harvest come in. 
It's like we're standing on the ramp of the ark. And we're saying, please, come in. He's coming soon. The judge is at the door. I don't want any to perish. I want all to have eternal life. Now, what would you do if we're there and we're laboring this way together? And the Baptist minister comes. And he begins to compel people to come in. Are you going to disagree with this guy? Murmur, well, that guy's Baptist. He doesn't even believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, no. If he's preaching the same kingdom and the same way to enter, that's our brother. That's our friend. What would you do if a Catholic nun begins to compel people to come in? Oh, friend, I'll say thank you, sister. We're going to labor together. Now, the Mormons, they're building like a spaceship off on the side. It's, like, it's another gospel, truly. It's another gospel. But if they're preaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father but through him. If they're preaching that gospel, friend, they're, they're for us, they're with us. I, I need this stuff to get in our heart, you guys, because, listen, if all we were doing is building a good church, King's Kona, then you know what? Complain all you want to. But if we're truly going to be about his kingdom and his business, if we're truly going to steward a revival that's going to shake these islands and touch the uttermost ends of the earth, we need to work patiently. It's not going to be instant. It's going to be laboring. It's going to be believing. It's going to be serving. It's going to be giving. It's going to be doing. We're going to do it with all of our heart. It's going to take some guts. It's going to freak you out at times. But God's going to give us the power to be able to do it. We're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. Those other churches and the people that are about the things of the Lord, friend, every joint supplies the body of Christ, the Bible says. It's a different part of the body. And you speak against them. You speak against somebody in this room. You speak against another church. Literally, you might as well just stab yourself in the leg. It's just you're hurting yourself. Can we just stand right now? And we're going to pray. God's going to help us. God's going to help us. Just before we pray, can we just, can we just sing this song, Kyle? Come on, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit. He's going to touch us in a moment, give us vision. But let's just worship him for a moment.